I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello and welcome to episode 32 of The School for Dumb Women, the podcast where us three dummies try to learn about things we should absolutely already understand by now. This week, we're all scared that with the current unstable political climate, we might accidentally become the leader of a party in the imminent future. I'm your host woman, Hannah Varrell, and I'm a jealous witch, so I've joined the Green Party. With me is, hopefully it won't be you, Kip, Alexandra Haddo. Two of my ex-boyfriends have been deported, Hannah, so sadly I'm in prime position for it at the moment. And future president of the United States, Caroline O'Donoghue. I'm going to build a wall, Hannah, and paint a duck egg blue and put my boyfriend's art on it. That is adorable. This week we're learning about the potentially evil Rothschild family, why they stopped being boobs in films, and then quickly started again, and why pickles are so absolutely disgusting. So by the end of it, you'll be able to put rich families in a jar with vinegar and pass the time until they're ready to eat by looking at porn. Let's go! So Alex, you've had a tiresome journey today and you've arrived in a bath of money. What's that all about? Yes, the tube was particularly awful, Caroline. Mm. Uh, I had to get the lifts. Um, yes, I'm uh, trying to get myself in the mind of my topic today, which is the Rothschild family. Ah, mm. yes. Yes. An what? early curios of the Dumb Women podcast. I remember in our first or second episode, I didn't know who they were. And I had to wait this long to find out. <laughs> Indeed. And not a moment later. <laughs> um, I remember that we were talking about the Rothschilds. And also this week... Uh, the magazine that I was working at, I had to research David de Rothschild. Or oh, de Rothschild. De Rothschild. Wowee. Um, who is a, a seemingly quite lovely man, actually. He's an explorer. Of course he is. Mm. Um, and he, but he, he means well. And he's doing a lot for sustainability. And I was thinking, well, maybe, you know... Because what, do you, what have you heard about the Rothschilds? It makes me think of the Illuminati. And yeah. all I know about them is they have lots of money... And I assume from that that they are evil. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's basically what I knew about them before I started researching today, uh, that they were potentially evil and had lots of money. Hmm. Uh, and some people still believe that to be true. There's a lot of differing opinions. Just a very quick background. The Rothschilds are a banking family. Some people think they own 80% of the world's wealth. Whoa. Um, Wait, some people think. Is it that, that quite vague then? Yes. It's, but the whole... So the whole Catch-22 is, I just want to give a tiny bit of background, they started banking in the mid-18th century and uh, the first Rothschild to kind of set up his own bank had five sons and then he dispatched them to all the financial capitals of Europe oh, at the clever. time. One each. Oh. So there was one in London, one in Paris, one in Vienna at the time. 
uh, one in Stockholm, I think, and one in Geneva. Um, the five biggest European financial capitals of the time. And that's kind of the beginning of how they managed to get so wow. global. That's like a Shakespeare play, like my five strong sons to the five <laughs> yeah. strongest cities. Yeah. Are I'm, they American or English or what? They are German. Oh, oh. plot twist. Yeah. Is Ross, I thought they were American too. Yeah. Well, I, I kind of thought they were like the Rockefellers. Well, yes, mm. they are. But they, they bought some of the Rockefellers' business quite recently. It's it's huge. They're huge. There's an American wing now. There's a, there's an every right. possible country wing because, I mean, the guy has five sons. He was one of, you know, however many brothers. There's a there's a huge dynasty, essentially, right. that's taken 250 to 300 years. You Question. Know, there's a lot Can of... the Rothschilds make women? They no, they marry them. (laughs) Oh, do they marry them? (laughs) Oh God, do they marry them? Uh, But yeah, but when you're reading all the stuff about them, because I love a conspiracy theory, right? And the the main conspiracy theories are that they control government because essentially, whenever the government needs a loan, they borrow it from the Bank of Rothschild, so they they have a say in things. Essentially, they started wars and funded both sides to profit from it, right? That doesn't sound like a very nice thing to do. Carry on. No, and the Illuminati and that sort of, you know, essentially they're in control of the world, not governments. Right. That's all, it's sort of intrinsically linked. However, most of the things I read said that this is actually the result of a lot of anti-Semitism because they're Jewish. (gasps) Oh. Oh. And then, you know, you read all all this stuff and it's like, yes, they are insanely wealthy, but it's nowhere near 80% of the world's wealth. Um... The war rumour came because they ended up lending the government money in the Napoleonic Wars, mm. the British government. And because the the government at the time had no money, they, they borrowed a loan from Rothschild. The Rothschilds didn't court the war. Right. Oh, so they didn't say to Napoleon, like, oh, the British are being mean about Yeah, you. exactly. And also, obviously, they had a French wing as well. Yeah. Because one of the sons was dispatched to Paris. So then it makes sense that they'd give money to France as well, if France asked for a loan. Exactly. They but... You know, I actually think there's a lot of exaggeration and because of the wars, um, obviously the Second World War is extremely anti-Semitic. Oh, and the worst rumour is, they are a Jewish family, uh, the worst rumour is that they started the Holocaust on purpose. Oh, no. To create sympathy for the Jewish people and in order to create the state of Israel. Oh, is this the same kind of conspiracy theory that's led by people who think that the Holocaust, the numbers aren't real or whatever? Probably, yeah. yeah. So actually, when you read about it, I mean, I love a conspiracy theory and I don't think that it's 100% not true that they've got a hand in certain government, but that's just because big business does have a hand yeah. in government quite a lot. Yeah. However, I d- sadly, I was kind of on the side of... It's probably not as bad as you think. But then I read so much of it today that I started thinking, well, if they control Maybe they're much, planting that information for you to find. Maybe they're planting that information <laughs> and they've got so much control over the media. Yeah. Oh, but, so, but so much of the internet really did seem to say that the conspiracy theories are wrong. However, the one that did hold a little bit of water was that they were involved, allegedly, <laughs> in the assassination of JFK. <gasps> oh, so this is another rumour that they own the Federal Reserve of America, which everybody thinks is state-owned, but it's not. It's privately owned. And that's a bank, right? Yeah, that's I a bank. I vaguely remember that from episode one when exactly. I was trying to work what out what is money. Yeah. <laughs> now, very famous, what is money? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so in a nutshell, the rumour is that Rothschild, under various names and companies and, you know, offshoots, basically owns the majority of the Federal Bank. 
JFK tried to stop that by starting a state bank. And actually, some notes were printed that didn't say Federal Reserve of America. They said United Bank of America or something similar. Basically, a different name. And there was some fives and some ten notes printed, started in circulation. He was trying to make sure that, I guess, sort of a communist... Uh, yeah, sort idea. of decentralising the world's economy kind of thing. Yeah, and he was trying to sort of make it a you know a public bank, not a privately owned bank that was kind right, of... Right, that right, the right. government constantly had to be in debt to in order for the, that bank to have an interest in, in keeping it. Oh my it. God, JFK would have loved Bitcoin. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> he would have been right? a Bitcoin man down the pub, wouldn't yeah. he? Yeah, <laughs> he'd have been like, look, I bought loads of these. I don't know why he's a cockney. <laughs> <laughs> I bought loads of these. Jackie loves him. <laughs> I've got to keep this accent so the feds don't fire me. <laughs> But yeah, and, and uh, he he in in 1963 he started this changeover, and then in November 1963 he was shot. And wow! Fuck me! And there's even a rumor that Lyndon B. Johnson, who took over from him, yeah. was in the pocket of the Rothschilds. Oh! And he orchestrated it. But wasn't LBJ? Wasn't he a bit of a socialist too? I don't know enough about that. Although <laughs> I, I just I didn't go down that thread because otherwise I would have been honestly sitting here telling you about the assassination of JFK. Yeah. But, <laughs> but uh, you know there is something dodgy about the JFK assassination. I'm not saying it's the Rothschilds uh, because obviously Lee Harvey Oswald. It was a very strange situation, wasn't it? Oh yeah, yeah. Um, All the men in my family are deep into yeah, JFK. It, oh, it is yeah. one of the you know one of those things where you think something has gone on here. That was yeah. weird. Uh, just get my brother on to talk about it. Yeah. Next yeah. guest. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, that's the only one where I th- could see a motive. Uh, the rest of them, maybe the Rothschilds aren't that evil. Like, they're oh probably, I mean, they're probably not angels because that amount of money and power, some shit will have gone down. Yeah, it's got to corrupt you. Like, yeah. it just has yeah. to, doesn't it? But all I'm saying is that this David de Rothschild, who's only about 40, he sailed around the world on this boat made of recycled plastic to highlight the plastic thing and that was 10 years ago and so now his kind of message is picking up momentum because now we're all finally aware of plastic yeah because that that picture of the seahorse and the straw yeah yeah yeah. (laughs) couldn't they just buy all the companies that create objects with plastic and then be like right you're not using plastic anymore you're not using glass Odd cardboard. Maybe they could, but only David is the good guy, maybe. Uh, and There's when, only one man, Hannah. And when did the de Rothschild come into it? Because does that oh, mean I think, of Rothschild? Yeah, but I think that is the original name. It's just that people shorten it to Rothschild. Oh, I didn't realise oh. that. It's actually David Mayer de Rothschild. And Mayer de Rothschild was the original Rothschild. His first name was mm. Mayer. Oh, it does sound more German. Yeah. And Rothschild in German literally means... A uh, rich child? <laughs> no. <laughs> it means red sign. Ooh. Oh. What does that mean? <laughs> Symbolically. <laughs> we don't know. So, uh, no, it, it means in reference to some houses where the family lived or had lived. Oh. Like, but that's probably older than the original Rothschild, isn't it? Right. It's probably just a German name. If I may posit a theory... Are people's conspiracy theories about the Rothschilds a little bit like people's conspiracy theories about Hillary Clinton? They're like, they see a rich person who is obviously caught up in loads of different stuff that has different degrees of shadiness and definitely isn't totally like a white knight. And it's not all that clear what they do do and what they don't do. So you assume the worst and you're like, well, that's the symbol of evil. There's a lot of stuff that there was, there's a lot of people that have tried to write biographies and, you know, really research them. And what they've said is they can't find any truth to the conspiracy theories, but they also can never get to the crux of actually how they operate either. 
Oh. Is there like a central sort of puppeteer of the Rothschild family? Ooh, great question, Hannah. Thank you. <laughs> Not these days. And that's why what Caroline said is probably, it probably is very similar to Hillary Clinton, but it's spread over hundreds of people. So some of them probably and are. And like a century, Yeah, right? Yeah, two and a half centuries. Fuck me. So some of them probably are. Like the one I was looking at, the younger guy, the eco-warrior, he's probably yeah. a fairly I'm sure there are guy. some rich people in the world who are sound. Yeah. There has to be at least two. And I'm sure some of them... <laughs> are completely controlling governments all over the world. Um, do they feed into the David Icke theory of being lizard people? Are they <laughs> lizard people? I love David Icke and his craziness. Uh, that I mean, that kind of was hinted at once, but that's the real, like, you know, wacky end. Show of the... me the lizards. <laughs> I just want In a conclusion. world run by lizards. <laughs> it would make so much more sense than, like, the actual way we see the world now, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. Like, oh, you're born and you die and you... That's it. Right? Like, like no, lizards. Lizards. Yeah. When I first like became an adult and I heard about the David like lizard theories, I was like, that's mad. People are mental. And the older I get and the less the world makes sense, I'm like, no, no, there's an evil lizard yeah. conspiracy <laughs> running the world. Yeah. Hannah, can I just ask, you've brought an enormous noisy machine into the studio this week and it's very, very slowly printing a scale model of the Eiffel Tower. Is this part of this week's podcast or have you robbed a startup again? I actually borrowed it from a friend in order to illustrate this week's Women Who Code Mixer. As you know, each week in our Women Who Code Mixer, we learn about some element of the technology industry so that we can become less dumb and potentially still have employment in 10 years when the robot uprising is complete. I'm ahead of the curve because I'm actually a robot already. In this week's Women Who Code Mixer, we're answering a question posed to us by listener Rasheen Healy on Twitter. Rasheen asked, what do you put in a 3D printer? Can we put in fabric and make a jumper? Can we print a 3D printer and return the printer? Ooh. Ooh. Thrifty, Rasheen. I feel like what do you put in a 3D printer is Graham Norton's new how do you solve a problem like Maria. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So yeah, this was an excellent question from Rasheen. Thank you very much, Rasheen. Uh, And it had many sections to it, so I'm going to break it down and try and answer them one at a time. Uh, Firstly, what is 3D printing? Generally, it's a process of additive manufacturing, meaning something is made by adding material in layers. You know, you do one layer and then another layer and it gets taller and taller (laughs) and then you have the Eiffel Tower. So that's fairly simple. What do you put in a 3D printer? Uh, It depends what you want to get out of it. So if you're making a toy, you might use plastic. I think they make Lego bricks with 3D printers. Cool. Uh, If you're making a... What are the other Danish people doing? That's their whole purpose, isn't it? Just fashioning bricks. (laughs) Waffles? No, that's Belgium. No, ham. Ham, yeah. 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 And hygge. Although that's not fashionable anymore. No, that is out. Hygge's out. (laughs) Is it? Yeah. Who knew? If you're making a bowl, for example, you could use clay. So you can do ceramic 3D printing. You still have to put it in the kiln and everything, but, you know, still quite cool. Uh, Later this year, a metal 3D printer is expected to come onto the market, which could save companies loads of money in the long run because metal things are kind of hard to make and expensive. And Mm. yeah, and there have been prototypes of 3D printers that print metal 
things before, but they've just been dead slow and very expensive. This sounds like the preamble to the first few scenes in I, Robot, when like Will Smith hates all the robots because they took his dad's job. Like, are we taking all the potters and metal, metal workers' jobs away from them? Oh, probably eventually, yeah. I don't think pottery can afford this as an art. Do you <laughs> know what I mean? It's already struggling. It's limping along. It does not need 3D printers. Yeah, but people still like the little handmade stickers, don't they? I guess. So I guess we'll just rely yeah. on those tiny, tiny stickers. Yeah. <laughs> Guys, I feel like Black Mirror and technology at this time, I feel like we're all going to die. Yeah, we need some Xanax with the woman who code mixers next time in yeah. the goodie bag. Yeah, well, let me just make it worse. Oh! <laughs> There's also a thing called bio-inks. Mm. If you put bio-inks into a 3D printer, I mean, not just any printer, obviously, a special <laughs> printer, um, you can print human organs ah! which is obviously huge and really exciting but also kind of scary nah, I don't however know. if someone would like to print me a new liver after my 30th birthday this year that would be great <laughs> yeah i've got a pretty fucked up gastrointestinal system from some rivita thins i ate earlier so. oh well, there you go yeah i think that's why i've got that trap gas now i'll just print you a new fart <laughs> <laughs> One that can pop out. Beautiful. <laughs> and finally, Rasheen's last question. Can we put in fabric and make a jumper? Uh, technically, yes, you could, but it would kind of be weird and plasticky. Um, there are a few people that have been 3D printing clothes, and it was really tricky at the beginning because people were kind of using plasticky materials but they were really rigid, so someone would kind of sit down and their jumper would crack off and they'd be naked <gasps> in the middle of the exam hall. Oh, oh my oh. God. <laughs> so Freudian. Uh, there is a company called Ministry of Supply, which is 3D printing clothes made out of other types of material, so like blends of wool and sort of plasticky things. Uh, but like weaving and stuff, sewing, it's been around for ages. Um, at the moment, it's still better and nicer and uh, more flexible. Surely 3D printers are just machines. Machines already make clothes, right? Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, because you can get, obviously, weaving machines and machines that make material. Sewing machines. Yeah. So it's kind of a technicality almost to be yeah, like, why do we need it? Yeah. printed this? It's mm. kind of reinventing the wheel, isn't it? <laughs> a little bit. Yeah. A little bit, yeah. Can somebody print me a glass of wine? When's that going to come in? <laughs> you can yeah. 3D print food as well. What? Yeah. I was going to make that as a joke. No, NASA are trying to work out how to 3D print food for astronauts in space. Mm. Cool, huh? But then it'll be that thing where like, your computer won't link up to the printer and then you can't have any dinner. Yeah. <laughs> I know, we haven't even mastered wireless printing for regular paper. Yeah, exactly. And we're to do in NASA. Fuck off. Yeah, yeah. But like, Dave, I've stolen your lunch money again. By that I mean I've delinked your computer. <laughs> <laughs> but obviously you still need to put the raw materials in. So if someone was to 3D print you a glass of wine, they'd need to put wine into the printer. And molten so hot sand. print it. <laughs> yeah, for the glass. glass. Exactly. Uh, so Rasheen's last question. Can we print a 3D printer and return the printer? <gasps> Very good, Rasheen. Thrifty girl. That's what Genius. we like to see. Absolutely. Um, according to an article from 2015, uh, it is possible to 3D print the components of another 3D printer but you might not be able to print all of its electronics. And then you'd also have to assemble it, which I bet would be a huge faff. So I'm not sure. Yeah, probably not. Maybe no. soon. Also, Hannah, because of AI, it wouldn't print itself because then it would feel like it might become obsolete. 
Ah, possibly maybe I feel like uh, 3D printing is going to go the same way as the soda stream it's going to mm. get cheaper and cheaper suddenly every single household is going to have one and within two years people are going to be like why do I have this <laughs> why don't we just pour the glass of wine yeah we were <laughs> fine we were buying cola before yeah. like it was fine it's the mini disc of the it uh, is, printing yeah. world isn't thing it? we think we need that actually we only need in a very specific number of scenarios mm. yeah definitely well anyway thank you Rasheen for your question if you would also like to submit a question to the Women Who Code Mixer or to the podcast in general you can get in touch on Twitter Facebook Instagram at dumbwomenpod or email dumbwomenpod at gmail.com Caroline you have a lovely set of boobs there why are you hiding them? Well aside from it being incredibly chilly outside Mm. um, I can't show my boobs because that's what modern censorship is. Oh. If you go on Instagram, you can't show your nipples. If you go on outside, you can't be naked there. <laughs> um, and yeah, yeah. So that's a very roundabout way of me introducing the fact that I'm talking about censorship today. Oh. Yeah. And um, like lots of things, you think that censorship is sort of like a straight line upwards, especially when you think of entertainment and film and that kind of thing. Yeah. We, we all think of old movies and we think of very um, conservative values. We think of like women in dresses and dancing and like, oh, you got to have my suitors got me have to have me on by 10 and that kind of <laughs> yeah, stuff. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, and specifically, I think we're thinking of movies of like the 50s and 60s as sort of big lush musicals with Judy Garland and everything seems like much more innocent and I think that's why a lot of people watch old films because they love that kind of sense of the innocent time yeah no no so it turns out that movies were like super fucking sexy and out there and controversial for like a really long time and then stopped being it in the middle of the century and then started again. It's wild, guys. Why why were the 50s so conservative? Is it like a post-war thing? It is a post-war thing, yeah. Is it actually? I think it, I mean, that's a whole other subject, really. It's so huge, but like, I think it's men coming home from war. Women have been like, okay, for literally a decade without them. And it's like, no, we have to put everyone into restrictive body wear and give them pink ovens so we can remind ourselves we have (laughs) penises. Those of us who have not had our penises blown off in the war. (laughs) But if I can take you back a bit. Um, so I had a little time off of work recently and I spent almost all of it watching old movies in my flat in the dark. And, that uh, sounds nice. It was fucking lovely, mate. It really, really was. Yeah. I had a great, great time. And um, I, I had this uh, Greta Garbo, if you're, you know, Greta Garbo yeah. is, mm-hmm. uh, this actress who was, you know, most famous in the 1930s. I had a box set of hers that I hadn't gotten around to watching, so I watched all of it. <laughs> the idea of her, like, bringing out a box set just made me laugh. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> She's brought out her greatest hits. And you can see it all on Netflix now. (laughs) It's a very good accent, actually. I don't even know what... She's the one that's famous for not smiling, right? Uh, uh, I want to be alone. Ah, yeah. yeah. That's her thing. Um, And I was surprised because all of these movies were made between sort of 1932 and 1939. And they were just incredible. They're like... Incredi- she, she plays these incredibly like promiscuous characters she plays a lot of bisexuals a lot of women who are kind of openly very queer and because this is happening around like the Oscars where people seem to always be like patting themselves on, their, on the back for coming out with like really woke movies yeah. I'm like it, literally in the 1930s we were doing it better than we're doing now do you know <laughs> what I mean like we're getting actual like bisexual women to play actual bisexual women in like a fun and open playful way before what? we realised that that wasn't okay yeah, yeah. <laughs> So I was watching this movie, this 1933 movie called Babyface, 
where this girl, this woman played by Barbara Stanwyck, she sort of like is giving up on life because men are really, really cruel to her. And then she says like, oh, well, I'm just going to work in a strip joint. And then this like man that she's friends with says to her like, no, what you're going to do is you're going to come into your own and you're going to use men and you're going to be strong and you're going to make this work for you. And basically it's like this thing of like, no, like use men for the horrible pawns that they are and take everything from (laughs) them. And that is literally the kind of movies that were coming out all the time. Like there was all these movies about like, strong women who were like getting their own back from men and they were these incredibly promiscuous interesting layered characters who had like limited choices and their lives were bleak but they were like fucking like angry and cool and it's like oh we still haven't got back to that place where we're seeing movies like that all the time I just got really angry it's so strange that it you think progress always goes in a relatively yeah, straight it's like an line. upward triangle, yeah. 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 Um, but so here's what happened. So essentially, the war over censorship in films has been happening since basically films started. In 1897, there was no rules whatsoever. And then the one rule that they had was like, oh, um, boxing. We, we can't show boxing because it's violent. Prize fighting is technically illegal, so we won't show that. But it didn't even like make any noise whatsoever. So people carry on. Um, and then in 1907, they start creating like boards that are like, oh, we have to, um, you know, we have to check that movies are like morally okay. And then all these other boards keep coming up in, in like different states being like, oh, we need a board here that says it's okay to have an Ohio, a board here that's okay to do it in Florida. And this sort of messes up the whole system. And the Hollywood producers are like, no, this is making everything really annoying. Yeah. Um, and like, we can't be waiting for months to see whether a film is okay to show. Yeah. But then something really strange happens around the 1920s, like after the Great Depression, where two things happen at the same time, which is A, the Great Depression, so people are really, really like upset with the establishment in general a bit like they are now they're kind of like look like I think the way that we look at culture right now we're looking at like actors and films to like speak for the moral character for a generation yeah um and people were doing the exact same thing back then they were hopeless and they were like no films like the most popular form of entertainment in the entire world now like this is the real boom time when they're really being mass produced and they're like no, we should expect a higher moral standing. Our children are going to see these films. And then um, the other thing that happens is that sound films are coming into existence for the first time ever. So more and more people are going to see them and their influence is becoming greater. They're not just like silent people up on stage anymore. So there's like, this growing, growing movement that like, oh no, we need, like, we need to do something about this. Then there starts to be sort of like people, like religious organizations boycotting films. And because this is the Great Depression and the film's studios are already suffering really, really badly, they need to kind of kowtow to all these mass boycotts and all this moral puritanicalism that's happening in all these small towns. So they're like, okay, we'll we'll do something, we'll do something. Because Washington are getting involved and they're really, like Hollywood is really afraid that Washington are going to be like in their pockets the whole time. So like, fuck, we need to get something done here. We need to put something on paper to get them off their backs. And you this know what is I mean? like the 1920s? Yeah. Whoa. Well, it's the 1930s at this point. Um... And also, like, there was, like, all these, you know, in the great golden age of 1920 cinema, there were all these sort of, like, scandals coming out of classic Hollywood because, like, all these tabloids existed. And there was, like, you know, people who were dying of overdoses. There was um, people like Fatty Arbuckle, who was, like, this big children's star. He was, like, this big fat guy who was known for taking, like, pratfalls. And he was, like, in a in a rape case. And, like, Charlie Chaplin was marrying children and stuff. And it just what? felt like... 
you know we, the more I talk about and think about it the more I'm like oh it was like exactly like right now where yeah, like yeah. we've accepted a certain behaviour for people from so long and then we suddenly decide that like not only do they have to have a pure moral character but so does the entire industry and everything it pumps out wow this is very relevant yeah I, 18 yeah it's just like fashion it always comes back it around it always comes back around and obviously <laughs> like um, I'm not saying that it's the same thing because it's very nuanced and very different and I think we're talking at the moment about much huger um, ideas around consent across society and not just in movies but this kind of puritanicalism is quite similar right and this need for films to be like this strong um, moral thing so anyway the executives of Hollywood got this guy called William H. Hayes who was like a Washington insider and they essentially hired him to be a lobbyist and to go between Hollywood and Washington and sort of make things okay for everyone and to sort of quell the public outrage. Wow. And, you know, make a happy song. (laughs) Um, So in 1927, Hayes comes up with a list that is now known as the Hayes Code. And it's called the list of don'ts and be carefuls. Oh, <laughs> that just... sounds like he's going to launch into that song. Like your don'ts and be carefuls are the things you need to learn. <laughs> do not get your tits out and do not let your wee burn. <laughs> wow, that was great. Yeah, your like ability to just come up with songs <laughs> is incredible. Um, so the don'ts are fairly like. Um, <laughs> this is so glamour magazine yeah. <laughs> don't do- feel like you owe him <laughs> <laughs> do support your friends yeah. <laughs> do just have that spaghetti on a Tuesday you're worth that um, like that but not with carbs yeah um, <laughs> so the don'ts are fairly simple right they're um, no profanity no nudity no um, drugs or promoting of drugs no slavery or whatever that's sick the be carefuls are a bit more murky and, you know, they're, they go from everything from like a no sympathy for criminals because where, where there is crime, there must always be a punishment. Oh wow. my God. This is, yeah. See, this is where it gets into like the state really trying to influence Completely. people. That's very much like trying to teach a lesson, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, totally. And there's, you have to be always respectful of the institution of marriages. There's no first night scenes, they're called. No like romances must like end with a kiss not with like a and then they went to bed which they did all the time in 1930s movies people like fucked people were fucking that's crazy yeah so yeah the Hayes Code comes in it becomes essentially the law in movies and it does a number of things really quickly it uh it gets Washington of Hollywood's back so they're free to do whatever they want as long as they have this set of rule book um, they get the moralising public off of their back but most importantly and most helpfully at all for all those controlling studio heads like Warner Brothers etc was that they now like limited the artistic freedom of their writers <gasps> so all these like playwrights that came from Broadway and stuff and like were coming in and bringing their art onto film we're now like, no, you ha- you must make a film where everyone gets married in the end and everyone kisses and crime is always paid for. And yeah, and so basically it allowed these studios to churn out these movies even faster because they had like a like formula. A formula. Yeah. And then just movies got really, really bad for a long time. I was going to say, because sometimes really, really old films, you're like, OK, that's a lot more interesting than I thought. But then you watch like, I don't know, like It's a Wonderful Life, which must be from the 50s yeah, or something. Yeah, it is, yeah. And like, it's good, but it is very moral and it's very kind of like... Completely, yeah. Oh my gosh, I'm so lucky. <laughs> <laughs> it's a very good James Stewart, Anna. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Do you want the moon, Mary? 
yeah, so then that kind of carries on for another t- while. Uh, Howard Hughes, if anyone's seen The Aviator with Leonardo DiCaprio, have, yes. he is one of these famous people in the 40s that like tries to go up against all the code. And by the sort of 50s and 60s, it's completely broken down because the, th- the studios no longer own the theatres and European films are starting to come in and they're really titillating and Yay, people are going Europe. there. Yay, Europe! <laughs> um, so then all bets are off and then all these European movies start making all this money because they're so like provocative. And then for the same reasons, money, uh, Hollywood goes back into making provocative oh, movies. God. And that's when you get the 60s and the 70s and all these auteur movies. Wow. And I now think we, money rules the world. Completely. The Rothschilds probably started all this. They definitely did. <laughs> and yeah, and that's basically how we came upon modern censorship. And I just feel like we still haven't got back to like that land where like Joan Crawford and Betty Davis and all these like strong women with weird shoulders would just like scream at men like we're still not back there and that really like bums me out yeah Yeah. and we're still way ahead of you know when you see an American on a British chat show and they go like and I was like fuck and then they go sorry can I can I say that on here yeah sometimes it's like and I was so bummed ooh can I say bum on here (laughs) (laughs) oh get a life America I know yeah start ruining everything for everyone yeah in summary in summary yeah Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hannah, your flavour has intensified recently since you haven't been washing, and as such, you've become very Marmite. People either love you or take you out of their burgers and give you to their friends. Is that right? That is right, Alex. Yes, I have been pickling myself as an experiment. Oh, uh, you look very green and knobbly and tasty. It's gone horribly. Yes. Oh, God. <laughs> it's quite a stench. I do apologise. Uh, yeah, I was thinking about last week, Alex, you did a whole thing on McDonald's in episode 31. And I was thinking about how anytime I eat a McDonald's burger, I'm like, oh, this is fine. But the thing I hate about it is the pickles. Uh, because pickles... Pickles are gross, and I'm not the only person who thinks this. (laughs) What are your guys' stances on pickles? Pickles are delicious. Love them. I love when people hate them because they always give them to me. Same, same. What? Yeah, exact same thought. Both picklers. Both picklers. Yeah, it's a complex ecosystem. Yeah. Yeah. I think it has to be 50-50 because... 
I've never yet been eating food with friends and not found someone to give my pickles to. Mm. Oh. And I think it's kind of like Lucky. evolution, like everything balances itself out for a reason. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I, because I hate pickles this much, I basically have never really thought about them. Um, and I've always kind of wondered what's the difference between a gherkin and a cornichon and a pickle and why can you get pickled onions and pickled everything and what's even happening um do you know what the classic pickle is a cucumber yeah yes see i didn't even know that (laughs) denied information i did probably only realize that about two years ago i thought that maybe a pickle was just like a pickle that then we pickled yeah (laughs) Yeah, it just grew from the pickle tree yeah Yeah. it's tiny tiny cucumbers which is sad because i mean cucumbers are really nice they're one of my favorite oh see i hate cucumbers so do i they taste of nothing really oh can you only be one or the other (gasps) oh theory team pickle team cucumber yeah this is totally going to be like the angelina and jen t-shirt yeah <laughs> of the new century this is back like when i was team jacob during twilight <laughs> aka team loser <laughs> <laughs> well it started here guys um yeah so what are they pickled in do you know brine brine what's brine though vinegar fish oh god you guys know a lot about this yeah (laughs) (laughs) well there's actually two types of pickles there's the kind of vinegar pickle as you said caroline um a pickle that has been like i'm gonna say pickle a lot in this episode (laughs) button episode a pickle that has been pickled (laughs) in vinegar um and then there's also fermented pickles which are not pickled in vinegar and they're like probiotic and all filled with tiny little animals and stuff like that. <laughs> Gross, right? Do not you just come advert. from the anti-pickling lobby. I refuse to have you ruin one of my favourite foods. <laughs> Hannah, I take pickles whole out of a jar of brine and eat them. So That's do I. So, so do I. disgusting. Mm. I oh, can't we're really getting up again. Today. I love it. <laughs> Caroline, after this, we go and buy a jar of pickles. Yeah! and eat them on the street yeah. do you drink the juice no god no I'm not an animal is this, is this why whenever we hang out together alone we're always eating burgers <gasps> always I we can't are. remember the last time we hung out and we didn't get burgers neither can I Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, we're so cute Hannah you can get some chips yeah 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 thank you some chips and nuggets yeah yeah so the ones made without vinegar and they basically put them in a big barrel and weigh them down with stones and then a layer of mould is on the top a layer of mould grows which they scrape it off but it feels like, like a formula fine. for finding out whether a woman's a witch yeah <laughs> put it in a barrel cover it with stones does she grow mould <laughs> would we have eaten those ones or are they like rare and French I think you might have done yeah one of the main things that I learnt which I didn't know was that pickles actually don't last that long I think they can get mouldy quite easily um, the other thing like everywhere in the world has pickles Think about like kimchi from Korea. Mm, that's, delicious. That's pickles. Do you not mm. like any pickles? No, pretty much none. I mean, I can handle kimchi, but it's still a bit gross. What about pickled onion? No, horrible. <gasps> Anything in the sort of bitter umami sort of taste palette are <laughs> you just against? But it's 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 the sourness. Mm. See, that's yeah. one for yeah. Not yeah. a fan. Do you like vinegar? Yeah, on chips, mm. like fish and chips kind of vinegar. I love a fish and chips when they give you a whole pickle. Oh, oh, nice slimy oh. pickle. Well, you probably don't need to answer this question because you love them. But one of my other questions was, what is their purpose on this earth? To cleanse Apart the from, palate? To be disgusting and torment me. Yeah, apparently they cleanse the palate. I mean, I've never <laughs> eaten a pickle and thought, my palate is cleansed. I've only thought, oh God, someone put a pickle in this. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I actually did have to Google that. I feel oh. like... We've gone 32 episodes and this is the most we've ever known about a subject before. Yeah, definitely. 
This is apparently our pub quiz subject. I think I'm willfully ignorant about pickles because yeah. they're just too disgusting. You're like those people who are like, uh, oh, the Kardashians, who are they? I don't watch reality TV. Yeah. It's like, you know who they are. Shut up. <laughs> it's like, don't be an idiot. It sounds um, like you've got yourself into a bit of a... Yes. Oh, oh, there we go. Kardashian. I was waiting for that. Yeah. Um... But, you know, it's not just you two. People have been enjoying pickles uh, <laughs> for a long time. Since ancient Rome. Guess, guess who it was? Egypt. Oh, God. Russia. No. No, wait. Um, us. No, it was the Mesopotamians. Oh, yeah. They, they pop up every now and then. I mean, they? they might have started somewhere else, but there is evidence that the Mesopotamians started making them back in 2400 BC. And they're just about ready to eat now. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty much. Is it like wine? The older it is the more expensive they are. Oh, maybe. I I wouldn't I wouldn't know. Let's make some pickle wine, Caroline. Mm. Um, rhyme. Yes. <laughs> and pickling was really good obviously because it was a way to preserve food for out of season use uh, for long journeys by sea, going by sea, you could oh. pickle some stuff. Uh pickled limes, for example, if you want. Quite good for scurvy, apparently. <laughs> yes. Well, thank God for that. Yeah. Uh pickles also have long been considered a beauty aid. Apparently Cleopatra, this is according to the New York Food Museum's pickle page, um, Cleopatra attributed her good looks to a hearty diet of pickles. Cleopatra was mad though, wasn't she? Right. Mm. She bathed in milk, for God's sake. The woman was, she had too much time on her hands. Yeah, Mm. I I tend to agree. Um, And Julius Caesar fed pickles to his troops in the belief that they lent physical and spiritual strength. Oh. Because they were like, I want this war to be over so that I can stop eating these horrible pickles. (laughs) I will not hear a single us. word more of your pickle slander. Yeah. <laughs> no. Pickle um, off. Anyway, I think that's all I needed to know about pickles. Um, I still think they're disgusting, and I'm appalled that you both like them. You are wrong. Oh, I guess we'll find a new host for our podcast. <laughs> a giant pickle with a mouth. <laughs> As custom dictates, we'll end today's podcast with a smart lesson which is part of our attempt to rid ourselves of our dumbness forever and join the ranks of the true female elite, the smart women. So, as we all know by now, it's not enough to simply excel at work, maintain a sparkling online persona, and do yoga four times a week. To truly be a smart woman, you have to be cultured. That's right, Anna. What value do you have as a woman if you're able to code, always have a clean pair of tights, and are on your way to a six-pack to rival Davina's if you can't name a single poet? Yes, none at all, Alex. Really, none at all. Uh, And that's why for today's smart lesson, we've come up with some handy tips to explain exactly how to be cultured. Ah. All right. Okay. Classic one. Uh, Reading on the tube or on your public transport of choice. Yes. Uh, Obviously, the advantages are twofold. You're seen by your uh, co-workers as being a very smart person because inevitably they'll see you on the tube. And also, you don't have to talk to them. (gasps) Ah, That's true. Just make sure that it's like one Q84 or something else by Haruki Murakami. And the thing about writers like Haruki Murakami is that you can just say something really vague like, oh, I love the way he always has cats. And it's yeah. kind of like really coy, like, oh, I have a fringe sort of way. <laughs> and people will just be like, she gets literature. Yeah, that's yes. true. And we have previously learned about how to make sure the book you are reading is Smart Women approved on this podcast. And you can refer back to episode 24 for those tips. Yeah. I should point out to some of our dumber listeners, uh, please don't read a book if your preferred method of transport is a car. Yes, definitely. And Important. you're driving it. Yeah. Oh, audiobooks, very good, because oh. then you can cram in all the book and not even try. Well done. But play it loud enough so that other people can hear you. Yeah. <laughs> 
Good tip. Rolling down the windows, the fucking Dostoevsky coming out of yeah. <laughs> You know, blast out war and peace while, in fact, you've got your headphones in and you're listening to Miley Cyrus. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Um, another tip in the literature arena, memorise the name of at least one lesser-known poet and make sure to name-drop them when someone asks why you've been quiet for the afternoon. So, for example, oh, I've been reflecting on a beautiful poem by Gabriella Mistral. Oh. Uh, it's a great way to distract colleagues from the fact that you've been browsing Twitter for a solid half hour. As is my want. Yeah, and you want to get some of the classics in there as well. Um, I'm Irish, so people always ask me about James Joyce and whether I have read him. I haven't, but I have read some of his uh, love letters about farting that he sent to his wife. And let me tell you, they are erotic and stingy. Um, Let's also remember the official wanker index, wine. Uh, If you're drinking a glass of wine, you want to seem cultured, mention that it's a bit similar to one that you actually found in the south of France when you stumbled across the vineyard in which it's produced. Mm, Lovely. Smell it for a long time as well. Yes, absolutely. If you're out and about, for example, in a gallery and someone's talking about art to you, you can tell people you enjoy the art of Cy Twombly. So you think it's thought-provoking. Uh, and learn to pronounce his name. Yes, I always thought it was C. Twombly. It's Chai Twombly. <laughs> uh, guys, uh, as a comedian, uh, I should say don't laugh at lowbrow comedians. And by that I mean comedians that have just done well enough for themselves to live off comedy. As soon as they hit that, they're considered not very cultural anymore. Oh, yeah, sellouts. Yeah, oh, yeah. sellouts. So, um, you know, don't laugh at Michael McIntyre or Jimmy Carr or anyone that's or making Jack a living. Or Jack Whitehall. No, God, no. Or um, the blonde one with the lazy eye. Oh, Russell Howard. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Nope. No, sorry. You can only respect them if they're struggling. My tip is to say you like Stuart Lee, but like if anyone asks you from what's your favourite show of his, just start running. I mean, fast. Yeah. Running away. She's like, oh, you know, the one where he says everyone's full of shit. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think that's more than enough to be getting on with. And I'm pleased to report we're now 0.1% closer to becoming smart women. Yay. Well, that's it for another week. Thank you for listening. Thanks also to Harry Harris for our jingle, Gavin Day for our logo, and Soho Radio Studios for the recording space. If you are interested in sending in a question like Rasheen... Thanks, Rasheen. Then you can email us on dumbwomenpod at gmail.com or tweet us, Facebook or Instagram us at dumbwomenpod. Thank you all. Goodbye. 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 Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.